Well, good morning to you and welcome from me as well. It's great to see you here. Kelvin mentioned already my name is Ellen Wilde and I am one of the ministers on the team here. And he also mentioned that we are working our way through a series in Galatians at the moment on our Sunday mornings. Galatians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Galatia. As Paul planted churches and then as he travelled on, he would then supervise and oversee the churches through the letters that he wrote, answering questions that they had and so on. And it's been really good digging into this letter a little bit week by week over recent times. And there have been some themes that are coming through for us as we're reading this together. Themes like the priority of grace, the fact that grace underpins everything. Themes about the gospel, what it is, how we shouldn't turn back from it, that nothing needs to be added to the gospel, that the gospel is completely sufficient for us. And this morning in our section, Paul focuses his thoughts around freedom and what that looks like, finding and keeping freedom. And that feels appropriate that on a day when we are here and rightly remembering freedom through human sacrifice, we're also remembering the greater freedom that we've been given through the Lord Jesus. So in a little while, we will stand and remember those who have given their lives for the freedom of others and to remember and be thankful for the freedom that we enjoy because of that sacrifice. And here in this section of Galatians that we've got to, Paul talks about freedom and he points us to freedom as another lens, really, through which to see the gospel through, the good news of Jesus through the lens of freedom. Have a look at this image for me. How many rectangular logs can you see? These make my brain hurt, these kind of optical illusions. If you look at it at one end the far end, it looks like three. And if you look at it at this nearer end, it looks like four. And the more you look at it, the more confused and brain hurty I get. The, the angle that you look at things from matters. Perception matters. And there's something here for us in this as we think about a theme that Paul feels really strongly about. If we're thinking about freedom then we need to get the angle right if we're to truly see what faith in Jesus means. So let's read the passage. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 4. That's where we've got to. It's page 1171. If you wanted to follow it, do if you've got a Bible nearby. It helps, I think, to look through as we're going through this passage. Galatians 4, and we're starting at verse 21, reading through to chapter 5 and verse 6. Page 1171. So this is what Paul says to the Galatians. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands from Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. 
But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, are like Isaac, a children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, what's Paul getting at here? There are bits of that passage that are familiar, aren't there, that we kind of latch onto. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then there's this rather peculiar, complicated story about Hagar and Sarah that we just don't read so often. What, what's happening? Now, we've got to remember that the, the context of um, all of this letter is that the first Christians in Jerusalem were Jewish. But as the, as the gospel spread and as other people found faith, an increasing number of non-Jews, Gentiles, um, began to find faith in Jesus. But there were some teachers around and about known as Judaizers, and they were insisting that the Gentiles had to practice all of the Jewish law as well. And the customs of the law, like the Jews did. It wasn't enough to have faith in Jesus. Brilliant, you found faith in Jesus, but you must also be circumcised. You must also follow the dietary laws and so on in order to be accepted. Now, Paul's opponents are really committed to the Jewish law. They call themselves Abraham's seed, descendants of Abraham. So what Paul does here is he talks about Abraham. And he's clever, really. He points to their hero somebody they know about, that they revere, your hero, he says. And he uses this story about Hagar and Sarah to prove his point. Now, Paul knows that it's a true story. He's not denying it's a true story. But here in Galatians, he's using this story as an allegory to make his point. And this Hagar and Sarah business goes back to a not particularly happy story in Genesis, Genesis 16 and 21. Abraham's wife, Sarah, was promised by God that she would have a child. But time ticked by and no baby appeared. And so rather than trust in God's promise, she decided to take matters into her own hands, which is interesting enough in itself for us, isn't it? Do we trust God or do we try and make things happen the way that we want them to? Sarah suggested that Abraham sleeps with their maidservant, Hagar, and get her pregnant. And at least that way, he would have a descendant. And so Abraham agrees, and Hagar has a son called Ishmael. 
Who says society is more complicated now than it used to be? But God is faithful to his promises, and uh, the promise to Sarah does come, is fulfilled. Sarah does have a child called Isaac, a son. And Paul uses this to make his point. The father of the Jewish faith, your hero, he says to his opponents, your hero, he had one child not trusting in God, Ishmael, and one child in freedom. Ishmael not trusting in God's promises, and Isaac in freedom. And in this narrow allegorical sense here, Hagar's son represents salvation by works and Sarah relying on salvation by God's grace. Freedom is found trusting that we're saved by grace. That's got to be the first angle, the first lens through which we see this, trusting in God's grace and not works. Paul says, don't trust the laws circumcision, rituals, festivals, that's not where God's promise is. God's promise is in freedom, freedom of grace, freedom of finding faith in Jesus and being saved by that. Two weeks ago, I went to a conference in Belfast and um, I, don't, I don't mind flying, but it's not my favourite thing. And I was travelling on my own on the plane, so I couldn't even hold the hand of the person next to me like I normally would. Um, I could have, but I chose not to do that. Um, when we travel as a family, I say it's for the children's reassurance, but it's absolutely for mine. And whenever I'm sitting on a plane before we take off, I always have the same thought. And um, you may have this thought too, which is, how can a human body or 200 human bodies sitting in a lump of metal actually fly? Is what goes through my mind. And of course, we're on the, the, the runway and the plane is delayed. It's taxiing round and round and round for ages. So I've got a lot of time to think this thought, as well as reading that little booklet about the overpriced Pringles. I read that thoroughly as well as thinking this thought. If you throw a piece of metal into the air, the law of gravity prevents it being dragged downwards. But if you shape that metal like an airliner and put a powerful engine in it, then a new law takes over. The law of aerodynamics sets you free from the law of gravity. And I survived my flight, and I'm here to tell you that the law of aerodynamics trumps the law of gravity. The law of gravity is still there, it's still real, but it's been trumped by this law of aerodynamics. And the gospel of the freedom of Jesus is a bit like that. It sets us free from the law that is there. The new covenant sets us free from the binds of the old covenant. Now, everything in us as humans wants to trust in ourselves. We have a natural, legalistic approach to doing our life. That our default is trusting in ourselves, doing things a certain way. That behaviour gets us somewhere. That trying to please God is what we should do if he's going to accept us. But we are a new covenant people. And in verse four, chapter 4, verse 28, we are like Isaac, we are children of promise. Not like it's Ishmael. If we want freedom in Jesus, then knowing that our faith is a free gift is our first angle to come at it from. That's the most important thing for us to understand. And Paul uses this story of Hagar and Sarah to make that point and develop that point. Just as in the story, Ishmael is sent away, we're to push away the law of legalism, of works, and remember that we're children of promise, that we're saved by grace. 
And so Paul moves on uh, in chapter 5 to develop these ideas of freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul makes the point that we've got to trust that we are saved by grace, not by works. But also that freedom is something to find. But once we've found it, we've got to keep it. Finders keepers. It's no good finding something precious only to then lose it again. We receive grace as we say yes to Jesus. There are no other rules. If you are new to church and faith, hear this one thing today. Saying yes to Jesus is all it is. And receiving the gift of faith, there are no other rules Paul's initial sentence here, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. In the, in the Greek, it's actually even more emphatic than that, than the way it comes across here in English. He literally says, for freedom, Christ freed you, is what Paul says. Both the noun and the verb are freedom. Freedom is both the means and the end of the Christian life. Everything is about it. Everything about our faith is about freedom. For freedom, Christ freed you. Jesus' whole mission was one of liberation, one of bringing us freedom. Liberation from the binds of war is something that we're remembering today. Liberation to the life of grace is what we remember that Jesus brings to us every single day. And he says, stand firm, which interestingly for today is another military word, essentially. And it mixes the idea of keeping alert, um, being strong, Resisting attack and sticking together when he says stand firm. Paul knows that it's hard to stand firm. It takes effort, like like a military effort, to be alert and to resist and to be strong. So we might believe that we've got the free gift of faith. But once we've got it, why do we find it so easy to slip back into old patterns of thinking, of of legalistic, rule-obeying ways of thinking? Why do we slip into thinking that somehow we have to earn favour from God and not live in the freedom that Jesus promises to us? If freedom is the angle through which we look at the gospel, why do we find it so hard to keep it and to stand firm in it? I think the answer to that question, in part, is a little bit like chicken pox. Let me explain. One of my, both my kids have had um, chicken pox. One of them had it really, really badly. Um, oh, it was awful. Um, he felt a bit under the weather. And you know what it's like? Felt a bit off colour and then one or two spots appeared. And uh, the next morning, he was absolutely covered in spots. Ears, nose, eyelids, you know, everywhere, wherever you can get spots, he had spots. And at the beginning, I only noticed these two spots, and gradually these spots spread randomly over his torso and the rest of his body. So the, the chickenpox virus was incubating in his body, and then suddenly the spots started appearing randomly. That's how it works. And the thing with legalistic thinking and, and a rules-based religion, like so many other uh, faith and ideology groups adhere to. The thing is with those, it's a bit like a virus that's, that incubates in the human heart. And it's in us as humans since the fall, because we live in a broken world. And it's there in us, 
because of that broken world we live in, not to trust in grace, which is so alien to us, and to cling on to works and good deeds and our own efforts. But the way that shows itself, the way that pops up, that virus, varies from person to person. It pops up randomly and differently, depending on who we are. The spots are the symptom of the underlying virus. For the Christians that Paul is writing to, the virus in their hearts popped up as this ultra-commitment to the Jewish laws. That's why in verse 1, Paul says it's like a yoke. It's like a yoke of slavery. And he says, verse 2, there's no value in circumcision. Verse 4, that they're being tried to be justified by the law. They're not standing firm. They've fallen away from grace. And for us, that virus is still there in the human heart, but it shows itself differently. We don't have a problem with a Jewish group telling us to take Jewish festivals more seriously, amongst other things. But there are so many ways that we could be tempted to go back and be enslaved again. Lots of things. Being driven through human effort to succeed because we think that is the way to find value. There's no freedom there. Living in shame or fear because of things that we've done. Beating ourselves up because we don't pray enough. No freedom in that. Creating rules about the ways that we should do things in our family, in our church, that go way beyond biblical guidelines. Focusing on peripheral things and not the central things. That's not freedom. Letting perfectionism get a hold, being crippled by what people think, because that's the only way that we found that we know how to live. None of those things are being free. What does it mean for us to stand firm in our freedom? How's that, how's that legalism in our heart shown itself for you and for me? What is it that each of us individually need to reclaim today? The last thought for this morning is that Paul reminds us of the topsy-turvy nature of the kingdom of God. The freedom of the gospel reverses the world's values. None of this makes sense in our culture for those who don't actually know the, the joy that following Jesus can bring. As we understand more of what the gospel of freedom means, we can believe it and live it out. In fact, he says, verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Our world will tell us a lot of things count. A whole load of trappings, they'll tell us, that count. All the things we've just mentioned and hundreds of others. But Paul says actually only this counts. This is another angle to understand where freedom is found. The freedom of faith energises love. True love and trust come from the freedom of standing firm in faith. We are children of promise like Isaac and not Ishmael. And we're not to trust our own plans, despite a culture telling us that's the only way to live. We're to trust in God's ways, which are higher than our ways.